Welcome to the Regeneration Newsroom podcast of November 2018. This is a joint venture between the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture podcast and Ethan Solovyev's monthly Regeneration Newsroom. We are going to talk about the highlights from this month's Regeneration Newsroom and dig in with commentary from both of our perspectives around the world. So welcome, Ethan. I mean, it's great to be piloting this, testing this out and to discuss your, your great newsroom at this month. What's the main story? What's the, the main thing that people should definitely, I mean, they should read everything, but should definitely check out when they, they open a newsletter or find in a meeting? I think the most significant thing that's happening this month is really looking at Australia. Australia has an amazing amount of agriculture happening. And this month there was kind of a trio of stories that showed regenerative agriculture all the way from detailed on-the-ground case studies up to a very high-level former politician making statements about how to change the whole nation of Australia through regenerative agriculture. And, and no, I, I completely agree. I mean, I, I read the, the case studies and The Guardian had a big piece on it. And then, of course, the, the, the article, or actually it's much, it's a policy paper, sorry, on restore the soil and prosper the nation, which is something we completely agree on. Why is it so significant that a politician is, uh, is saying that? And have you any idea why that's happening in Australia? Because I, I've been following it a bit, but yeah, you're right. Somehow, maybe I'm biased, but I see a lot of Australia popping up in, in region food and egg lately. Well, from the perspective of kind of the origins of at least permaculture in Australia, Bill Mollison would always say Australia was the place where humans did the largest amount of damage in the least amount of time to the ecosystem. And so he was saying that ecological design, permaculture, and by extension, like a counter reaction, regenerative agriculture. Yeah, it's sort of like a, a immune response of the natural systems to it. So I think that could be part of it that there's just sort of an upswelling plus agri agriculture is huge in Australia. It's one of the largest industries. And so I think there's been a lot going on on the ground. And that's the case we see all over the world. Regenerative agriculture has primarily been, at least until this last year, an upswelling from innovative farmers developing new technologies, new approaches, and really just working things on the ground. What's significant about this is here we have high-level post-government official making large statements about how do we tackle climate change? How do we tackle, you know, degrading soils through regenerative agriculture? And we see this mirrored a little bit in the United States. There's one quick story on a congressional candidate who was speaking about regenerative agriculture, but it hasn't nearly gotten to that level yet in the United States or really, you know, anywhere in, in North America. Are you seeing anything in Europe? where regenerative agriculture is kind of getting into the policy level and being discussed? Not really. I mean, I've seen a policy paper or, or more a, a vision manifesto or paper from the Dutch uh, government on uh, agriculture, and they call it more circular agriculture or, or something like that, which um, sounds really nice and very interesting. The policy part of it is definitely not there. So now the question is, how do we translate that into concrete Examples, how do you tackle the power of the supermarkets or how do you tackle um, the huge rises in, in, in uh, soil prices or land prices in the Netherlands that are no longer connected to actually the carrying capacity? So it, there's some talk about it, but I haven't seen very a very concrete set of uh, policy um, measurements that, that, that uh, any government um, should, should get behind. But you see a bit of talk, as you see everywhere around soil, basically. But I haven't seen concrete things, nor here in Italy, 
where uh, soil ha hasn't been on the agenda, except when it floods away in many, some of the many floods we had in the past weeks here, which actually killed over 30 people. So it's, it's soil again is on the, on the news, but not in the way that uh, we, we would like to, to see it. But could it be also that Australia is really suffering from, I'm, I'm thinking that probably, I mean, you, the, the thing we read here about Australia in, in agriculture is drought. And, and when there's a, a 10 year drought or an eight year drought, maybe climate change hits harder there and thus more of the farmers started looking for, for alternatives. It's something I'm wondering. Definitely. Yeah. There's a paper that I'm going to post in this month's newsroom that actually has some statistics looking at the drought, but also looking at what they call conservative or conservation agriculture, which is actually quite right widespread in Australia. The paper says that 90% of rain-fed agriculture in Australia has adopted some form of conservation agriculture. So I think the pressures of the drought over the last decade have moved farmers in this very, in a way, common sense direction. And so in, in a lot of ways, a step on from conservation is to head towards regeneration. I think one thing we have to be careful of when talking about regenerative agriculture in Australia is that there's really different levels of regenerative agriculture going on. And honestly, I think a lot of what people are calling regenerative agriculture in Australia is actually it's not really regenerative agriculture. It's basically just conservative agriculture developed a little bit more in the technology and the thinking of it, but it's still, you know, no-till, cover crops, crop rotation, efficient irrigation, which doesn't really get to the deeper levels of regenerative agroforestry, animal integration, and a bigger sort of systems change perspective on what regenerative agriculture can be. So I think one thing I've noticed a lot from Australia is that Maybe there's more people saying they're doing regenerative agriculture, but when we look at it from a global perspective, um, it may not be as deep as it could be. I, th I think that's honestly a case in many in many places. Right, people are, are using it everywhere, and, and I mean, if you if you search the, or you follow the Google Trends, it's it's popping up. But if you really dig deeper, and are they building soils and, and in a way that 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 makes sense, and are they really taking on? the bigger challenges of agriculture, many are not yet, I would have to say. I think it's a great platform to start and, and, and it's, some, it's a continuum. But yeah, there may, I mean, there are some examples and we know them well, like people that actually took it to a whole new level. And I, they're there in, in Australia as well. I mean, I've read the book of Charles Massey. There, there are some that are really, really pushing the boundaries. But yeah, if you say X percent or half of it or whatever is is already close to regenerative and probably we're, we're fooling ourselves a bit. Yeah. And I think I'm working on a new paper that will attempt to help discern between these different levels of agriculture, really these different paradigms of agriculture from the extractive to the conservative to restorative and all the way to regenerative and really be able to help people distinguish, okay, they're saying it's regenerative, but is it really? How could I tell, how could I self-assess my own farming operation and find that out? So that'll be forthcoming in the, in the next couple of months. That'll be super, super useful. Let, let's keep moving. Otherwise we'll never get to the end of the newsletter. <laughs> what else? I saw one of the things I, I noticed and it's not perfect. And I think we're going to put it somewhere on, on the, the, the levels you just mentioned, but there's the first product of Land to Market, the Sabre Institute came out. Did you already taste it? Where can we find it? And why is it so exciting? 
I haven't tested it yet. I'm really excited to. This is the first product. Uh, it's um, spicy beef sriracha bites from Epic Provisions, which uh, is a very exciting startup. It's part of General Mills, right? Yeah. Now, yeah, purchased by General Mills, and honestly, their their quality and their sourcing dropped off a good bit when they were purchased. But this is a really important step for them back into the eyes of hardcore grass-fed consumers. They've sourced from uh, a really excellent farm in the United States and are providing the first land-to-market verified positive ecological outcomes in this product. They are only selling it online at this point from their Epic Provisions website. They're looking for retail partners, and I think it'll be very interesting to see which retailer is the one that picks it up because I think that will send a signal to other retailers that uh, regenerative agriculture is coming. And how they're going to communicate it. I'm very curious about the brand marketing and, and how how they're going to sell soil, basically. That's uh, something General Mills has been experimenting with, I think, with Ennis. What is it, mac and cheese? But it would be great to see more soil uh, in, in the supermarkets or in the, in the grocery shops. Absolutely. And I think one thing so from my day job at How Good, we rate the sustainability, the regenerative nature of food products and also health and beauty and cleaning products. And, and how, one, do they, how do they rate? How would these rate? Actually, we haven't rated this one yet. So we could talk about it on the on the next podcast. We'll see what they ended up getting. But I think what's really interesting is we've been able to track now through some data partnerships how the market is responding. So what are the actual sales that are happening for different products in the marketplace. And so that's the other reason I wanted to get into retail is that we can track and see, you know, what's the market response? Are people excited about this? Are they willing to, you know, pay the small premium? If there is one that's going to be on there when it gets to supermarket shelves, this is very exciting. And I think the next year, as we see more land to market products hit the shelves and as other certifications start to get online, the Regen Organic certification, and the other one forthcoming from Green America, it'll be very interesting to see if consumers, by and large, are as excited as all of us regenerative agriculture fanatics are. Yeah, if enough people pick it up and, and eat it, and of course, if it tastes good and if the other ingredients are interesting and good, I mean, there's there's still a lot to do, but it's I think it's quite a monumental shift because the first time uh, for the Saver Institute, who has been working on this, I mean, on this specifically, I think for two years, but in general on holistic management for the last 30 to 40 years, it's a, it's a huge step. So I'm, I'm very happy yeah. we, we see that in almost the end of 2018. Yeah, very exciting. And I think one thing that's really going to help on the brand marketing and, you know, consumer pickup of this is really the video and media side of this. Yeah, because you had, a few, you had quite a few media things in, in the newsroom this time. Tell a bit about the, the videos, the podcast, uh, how, how we're going to promote, market this amazing regeneration story with all the complexity that the Weasley is part of that. I think sort of small mini documentaries are going to be really important and kiss the ground is really a leader in this realm. They put out an excellent little video called A Regenerative Secret, uh, that has some really great drone footage of moving animals between different pastures. It's worth just just checking the video <laughs> just for the drone video. It's already makes it makes your day. Yeah, yeah, but it's really it's an eight minute video that packs a lot of information and some beautiful visuals. And I think little things like that are going to get a lot of a lot of play because they're real. They're showing real farms, real farmers figuring out how to do this much more so than the kind of. I don't know, interesting, but also a little strange video that came out from Patagonia. 
Did you get a chance to see that? Yeah, I saw it. I, I have to say, it's the coloring. The the it was very digitized. It wasn't really my video. I've seen other ones of of them. Maybe it's because I'm so much in the sector, which I really loved on their beef jerky and and this almond part. And they really made these mini documentaries you mentioned before. This is a completely different one for everyone who wants to watch it. It's very different. It didn't really hit me to be honest. It was a bit weird. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think. You know, I think they're aiming at a particular consumer segment, um, and it could work for that. But I don't think any farmer watching that video is going to be inspired to explore regenerative agriculture, think about how they could develop and evolve their farm systems towards greater ecological resilience and towards, you know, farm profitability. It didn't, it sort of seemed like it missed the mark in actually supporting farmers to head into this. Which might not be their goal. I mean, they, they do have to, to sell their produce. Yeah. It's, it, and that I think shows as well. I mean, what, what do you want to achieve by your media or your content? What do you want to get to and who is your audience? And then apparently we're not the one of this video. We're not the audience. You know, just something I'm thinking of that we haven't seen a lot of. And again, kiss the ground is, I think the best at this so far. We haven't seen a lot of like, regenerative agriculture means little image boards and little funny photos with text that are sort of getting people interested and excited. That's, I'd love to see some more people do that, get some little meme mind magic out there, getting people interested and excited about regenerative agriculture. So yeah, I would love to see more. I mean, if people have examples of that, definitely hit us in in the comments underneath or tweet us at, at us. Or comment on the, on the medium use room, obviously. And I would love to see that's more for the inside uh, to, to make the invisible visible and the, the root systems that are growing. How do you make a, a regenerative field, the difference between a regenerative field and a chemical one much more visible, both to investors, obviously that's my target group, but also to the general audience. Like it's very different if you have a lot of pollinators. It's very different, but often you don't see the true difference. Obviously, if you have a huge agroforestry system, you see the differences, but often it's sort of hidden. You don't see all the plants at work. You don't see the hidden things under, like the hidden half of nature, as, as David Montgomery would say, underground. And, and that's a shame because there's, there's real magic happening or real nature happening there, which, which we lost the ability to see and, and some cases actually to taste as well. Yeah, and I think you make a good point about agroforestry, and there's actually a pretty good, thick section in this month's newsroom on agroforestry. Huge, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Check it out. So a really great initiative in Africa that's happening on agroforestry. There's also a great little documentary video that, again, from the storytelling perspective, hones in on a couple of key agroforestry crops from around the world, northern Ghana looking at the uh, baobab tree, and then in Colombia looking at the kakai tree. Uh, so really interesting agroforestry stuff happening. And I think, yeah. I think from my perspective, there's just the science shows over and over again that agricultural systems that integrate tree crops by far capture the most carbon the most quickly, you know, on sometimes an order of magnitude greater than just the soil and tillage or low tillage approaches. So I think agroforestry is a important piece and I'm hoping more and more we'll see folks adopting the systems. Yeah. And a shout out to the indigenous groups that are working with the U.S. Forest Service to, to restore an enormous amount of square kilometers. I, I'm reading here, 5,700 against fire basically or against out of control fire and using traditional methods which is quite interesting to see that coming back to forests and, and we've all seen this year but also last year and the year before unfortunately 
huge forest fires. And I even saw, I have to find the details, a climate bond or a bond somewhere popping up to against forest fire. So there's also, you see from the investor perspective, also um, developments uh, to, to finance the mitigation instead of the paying for the damage after, which, which is in forest fires. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And I think, you know, even seeing again, from an investing perspective, one of the largest uh, advisors that looks at timberland investment mm -hmm. uh, put out the first of its kind report on agroforestry as an option for integrating into timberland management strategies. So that's really cool because that's starting to show that it's serious money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's serious money that goes into timber. And so for timber to be thinking about integrating, you know, non-timber forest products and agroforestry systems, very much looking forward to seeing more of that. Yeah, we definitely need, I mean, the institutional investors will be the last one on the table. I mean, it will be at the table, the last one to invest, but the amounts that they can put to work are, are just dwarfing anything else. And, and definitely, um, it's very interesting to see even just the word agroforestry in those kind of reports, which normal Timberland investors would never, I mean, that's monoculture, just like in agriculture, monoculture, and we, we don't want anything mixed with that. And to, to finalize this, this, this roundup basically of, um, of, of news, um, of regeneration news, the newsroom, what are things we should look out for, for, I see, I see an event you mentioned here. Tell us a bit about regenerative earth summit and, and then we close with some, some holiday thoughts and some okay. potential, potential gifts. So the regenerative earth summit is happening uh, a little less than a month from now in Boulder, Colorado. And the theme this year is bringing together, uh, fiber and food. So there's representatives from Patagonia, from the uh, clothing side of Patagonia, also from the North Face, who have just released a very interesting product in collaboration with the nonprofit Fiber Shed, which does amazing. It's a hat, right? It's a hat, yeah. yeah, yeah a a little wool beanie with uh, regenerative wool. That I use it as an example so many times as, as like one of the first products that people of wool, of regeneration and of a major brand. It's a, I haven't seen one yet live, but it's very cool. They did it. Very cool. Yeah. And then there's stuff from the food side as well. So this is going to be a great summit. It's not the traditional conference. There's going to be really interesting working groups, discussion. So one month from now, when exactly is it? The date is December 4th and I think it's the 4th to the 7th in, in, Boulder. in Boulder. So anyone who wants to go find, click on the link, find out if you can. It's a very interesting lineup, both from the fashion, fashion and food. I mean, it's a, it's a good mix. Great. And then also upcoming, no date yet. This is more on the business side of things, but mm -hmm. the Regenerative Business Summit is forthcoming, probably spring 2019, which is going to be a hybrid virtual and in-person event that takes some of the principles of regeneration and applies them to how do you design and evolve your business. So more, stay tuned for more about that. I'll be speaking uh, and part of both events and be great to meet you in person if you can make it to either of them. Very cool. And and then to finalize, I mean, the holidays are still a bit away, depending on where you are, but there are a number of books you mentioned. Some you're excited to read too, you mentioned. You haven't re read them yet. Why these two? I picked out Gary Paul Nabhan's new book called Mesquite, An Arbor Arboreal Love Affair. I just love reading Gary Paul's stuff. I mean, for years, he's hit this line between incredibly deep science and like beautifully lyrical, readable prose. His books are 
the most fun and informative to read. And so, you know, mesquite is this amazing perennial traditional crop from the borderlands between the United States and Mexico. Uh, it's a nitrogen fixer. It makes this delicious flower. And so I just, you know, I love the plant and I can only imagine what he's going to say kind of wandering around the deserts down there looking at and getting to know this. And the other one, as you mentioned too? The other one brings us to an important and probably underrepresented in a lot of the news we're seeing aspect of regeneration, which is the social, social justice, reparations, climate justice side of regenerating agriculture. So, so this is a very powerful new book by Leah Pennyman from Soul Fire Farm uh, in the United States. It's called Farming Wild Black. Yeah, I've heard about it. I, I saw it popping up on a number of newsletters, emails, and, and, and social media. But I haven't read it yet. It's, it's, it's something that is, is very underrated. I think also here in, in, in Europe, you see, I mean, if you see at the end, the farm workers are, are often either from sub-Saharan Africa or from the East and work in conditions that we can only imagine. And uh, it's a huge hidden tragedy, basically, in, in the agriculture sector that, that we somehow are not able to to feed the farmers or pay for the farmers, let alone the farm workers, yeah. for the food we eat. And this book is actually, you know, taking that and in a way flipping it. It's really focused on Leah and the other group of farmers that she's been working with here in the Northeast and beyond that are black and uh, Latino, Latina farmers, people of color who are reclaiming agriculture, getting their own farms uh, you know, repairing and restoring their communities and asking white people to show up as allies, as supporters for their work. So this is not going to be an easy book to read, uh, but I think I can it's imagine, a really yeah. important one. And there's one other article actually on, on uh, chickens and trees uh, from a Latino perspective as well in the, in the newsroom, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Forbes one. Yeah. Right. Cool, Although it's, cool. from, yeah. Yeah. And there's also a podcast with, uh, Reginaldo, who's Guatemalan originally and has a really cool tree-based poultry system that is modular and is being developed in the Midwest in the United States. So that's, yeah, great perspective to see as well. And I think you were talking about Gabe Brown's new book. Yes, definitely. I see that popping up everywhere. I mean, his, his podcast is in the uh, in the newsroom as well, which has been, been going really, really strong by John Kemp. And I read the book. I, I got it a week, two weeks ago. It's a great story. It's, it's well written. Um, it's the, the story of probably known by many, many listening to this, but it's, uh, it, it shows actually something we, we discussed before in, in Australia, like how drought or how in this case hail and, and four terrible years basically got, uh, Gabe Brown thinking and, and as a non-farmer coming into a farmer family and, and taking over the farm, it, it really showed how deep you need to go in some cases to, to start questioning the system. And he definitely started questioning a lot of systems. And, and it shows, it's an easy book. It's not too thick. I think it's 200 pages or something. Maybe I must underestimate. It reads really quickly. There's some beautiful pictures in it. And, um, it's, uh, I think a great gift to, uh, traditional farmers that are curious. I, I think it's, uh, it's an easy entry point because he talks farmer language and, and, but at the same time questions a lot and, and shows what he's been doing. He keeps repeating, this is not a recipe book. This is, you have to figure out, isn't it? And it's, but it, it's a, it's a great read. I, I really enjoyed it as a, as a as a as a good story on on what he has done with a, with a farm, like many many others basically. Yes. Great. All right. So make sure to pick up uh, one or all, or read them, share them, spread them, and, uh, 
make make it go further. Great. I think that brings us to the end of the Regeneration Newsroom podcast for November 2018. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Let us know what you think. If you have other stories, books you're reading, things you're seeing that we're not catching, let us know in the comments. And see you next time. Cheers. <laughs>